Hi, you're listening to Designing Yourself. This is Paul McAleer. And this is Whitney Hess. Hi, this is Designing Yourself. I am Paul McAleer. And I am Whitney Hess. And we, this week, have decided to take on another very meaty topic, um, as we do here. The topic this week that we really wanted to discuss was brought to us by uh, Lauren Bacon. And boy, it made it sound like she was a sponsor there. But really, she suggested this topic uh, via our super secret number. And the idea is <laughs> is really the topic of comparison and how we compare ourselves to other people and kind of how we have these stories about ourselves that we carry around and what we do when we see others and how we react to those things online and offline and how that makes us feel. And I thought that was a really great thing to explore. So, Paul, what do you think of just when you think of the word comparison? Like, how does that apply to your everyday life? So where I go first is the idea of measuring up and not measuring up. Mm. It really goes to kind of a neutral to negative space for me first, where I start thinking, oh, it means what other people are doing and what I am not doing. Right. Because who says, oh, I'm totally measuring up. Dude, I am so ahead of everybody else right now. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't think those people exist. I don't think they do either, right? But really, what, what, what brings this on? Where do we find these comparisons, first of all? Where does this come from? Well, firstly, the first people that we have any interaction with, unfortunately, are lovely parents. Yes. I imagine that we get a lot of ideas about what we're supposed to be comparing ourselves to, from their notions of who they're comparing themselves to, it feels like it's a vicious cycle. Mm, because you basically start with this, you start with this notion of who you could be, right? It's a potential you, and it, it could be full of all sorts of things, right? It's emotionally loaded stuff. It's got hopes and dreams and ideas and smarts and all sorts of stuff attached to it. And, at least for me, I know that's something I carried around for a very long time. Like having that notion of this is the career path that I'm going to have and this is how how I will act and kind of be in the world. That was something that, you know, I had imparted on me pretty young. And it's not a bad thing, right? That's something that parents do. But it's also acknowledgement that that ultimately might not be be my full story or might not be who I am now or who I've become. Totally. I mean, that sense of this is the choice that I have made and this is the choice I'm going to make next and this is the life that I'm supposed to be living. I often attribute that to the voice inside my head Mm -hmm. and the voice inside my head tells me things to do. I mean, it sounds (laughs) like I'm a sociopath, but... Yeah, like we have these thoughts, but I have thoughts, as I imagine many of you do, you, Paul, and the people listening, that it's in a voice of somebody. And I think a lot of us think of it as our own voice. Like, oh, I would never wear that, or I have to wear this if I want to get this kind of positive attention at work. 
or this is the way someone is supposed to behave when they want X, Y, and Z, or of course you should make that decision because that's going to get you the things that you need to have in life. That talking that's going on in my head, it always sounded like it was in my voice. Does the voice inside your head sound like it's your voice? <laughs> yes, it does. Um, I don't know if, you know, it's funny because I think it's a little it's a little different than my actual voice. You know, it's like how you hear your, when you are talking out loud, it's, it's the voice in your head is a little different than how it actually sounds recorded, which is always, at least for me, it's kind of strange still. But the voice in my head is also different than that. <laughs> but, it, it, but it's also, you're right in that it may not be, that might not actually be me uh, sharing that information At and all. doing that, right? That could be At all. That could be learned, right? Yeah, and what's so creepy about it is that it has, over time, taken on the tone of our voice, or at least what we say in our heads, oh yeah, that's me talking. But you're so right that when you then listen to your voice recorded, you hear it back, everyone, I think, is disturbed by hearing their own voice because it's like, whoa, that's not what I sound like. I think that we probably teach ourselves over the years that that voice that's playing in an infinite loop in our brains is actually us when it probably isn't us at all. Wow. Yeah, that's true. I agree with you. I'm just thinking about how 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 do you separate that out then? How do you discover that? How do you observe that that's not your voice in the first place? I mean, I had a pretty powerful experience when I started my coaching program because I went through life thinking I was a deeply self-aware individual. <laughs> I was like, I am an only child. I've spent so much time alone reflecting. I travel alone. I've been to White Sands, New Mexico by myself. And I've had spiritual experiences. And I've gone rock climbing. And I've gone to the top of that mountain. And I've seen those five states. And I've, you know, I've been there. I know me and I know that that voice inside of my head is me and I'm my own guiding light and I'm self-reliant and all that BS. I was so convinced of it. And then when I started my coaching program, one of the first thing they had us do was take the Enneagram assessment. Have I told you about the Enneagram? I don't think so. Okay, I'm not going to go into too much detail right now because that would be the end of the show. I would never stop talking. But the Enneagram is a, to put it crudely, a personality test. But it is so much more robust than any Cosmo personality test or some online IQ test that you can take. It's very complex. And the concept is that every human being has all of the personalities within them. But which of the nine is it your habit to express most often? And I'm only giving that limited amount of information to explain what was so revelatory about this experience for me. So our instructors gave us a big book all about the Enneagram. There's a website where you can download a sample test 
to take for free digitally and you get the results right away. And our assignment was to go home that evening and take the self-assessment and come back the next day knowing what type of the nine types we are. And I went back to my room and I took the test and it came up with the type number three, the achiever. Mm. And I said, well, okay, that sounds like me. And I went into the book and I read the third chapter on the achiever and I had a breakdown because Mm. everything that it described was perhaps how I behave, but deep down, not how I see myself. And I was very upset that it was characterizing me as a, you know, I'm going to totally, totally oversimplify what the achiever is, but I'm going to explain it the way I was reading it in that moment. Money hungry, overachieving, you know, social climbing, Mm. career obsessed freak. That's how I read it. And what occurred to me in that moment was, holy crap, that is not at all how I see myself, but it may very well be what I am displaying to the world. And I got very angry because I felt that that was so not a reflection of what the real me is inside, but instead is a reflection of how I was raised. Mm -hmm. Because I was raised by two people who came from next to nothing, who dug their way out of no resources, and their families could not support them, and they created something wonderful together, my parents. But they are, as a result of that, very focused on success, very focused on you know, material things and, and having those things and enjoying the money that they've made. And just that feels like them, not me. And mm-hmm. what I was reading was like it was so angering to me that I just basically said, this Enneagram thing is total bullshit. I can't believe that they're having us take this test in the program. And I went into class the next day, and when it, we were going out around the room to say what type we found out we were, and when they asked my type, I just broke down. Mm. And they were, at the time, total strangers to maybe 20 other people in, my, in the room who ended up becoming some incredibly close friends of mine after a year of working through the program together. But I just broke down because I was so angry that that was how it was defining me. And it was through a lot of recognizing why I kept, I basically kept taking the test. And no matter how I took the test, I was like, I'm going to role play out. I'm going to pretend I'm someone else. (laughs) And then I would take it and I came up with the same thing every time. And I was driving myself insane. I was like, no, it has to be something else. It has to be something else. And throughout the program, it was actually a few months um, into the program when I started to better understand 
that voice inside my head that I always was so sure was me was actually my parents and not in a negative way, not in that, not in a, like they had wronged me, but that was who I was always aspiring to, you know, to, um, to please. I wanted my parents to be proud of me. And so their teachings were what I had carried in my mind and what I had perpetuated in my mind and what they considered to be of importance was the measuring stick that I used in my life to compare myself against constantly. Mm -hmm. And when I started to undo that through a series of things that I've talked about at nauseum, you know, in this podcast with you, and I started to understand, oh, that's my voice underneath that thing. I later took the Enneagram again and I came up with a totally different answer type for the first time. And for anyone who's into the Enneagram or interested, I am a type eight, a challenger. And you can read all about it. So that, and then when I read that chapter, I was in tears of another kind because it was like, oh my God, finally my measuring stick, like, my sense of myself, it had taken a lot of unearthing mm-hmm. to discover that. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And what I mean, it's incredible to hear that everything that went into that, there's the idea of what you're what you were told by your parents and also how you were taught and how you were raised. And then there's also this this closeness of your identity with what others expect of you and also what is and is not your voice. And it recalls some of the stuff we talked about before around identity, but it also reminded me of uh, some of my own work on this too. While I haven't been in a coaching situation, um, it's we just talked a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago about stress. And one of the things that I talked about was how I work with deadlines, right? Mm -hmm. Where I get stuff done in advance, feel I'm pretty well planned and organized. And only recently have I really started to explore why that is. Mm. Um, Because there was definitely in our discussion, you know, I, I, I stated a lot of logical reasons why that was. Because I didn't want to have stress on the day that something was due. I would finish it in advance. Um, that would kind of shift that stress earlier and deal, I'd have to deal with it then. But it got me to wondering, well, uh, am, I, am I really an organized person? Like, am I organized? Or is it just a part of me that's organized and that part just gets a lot of play in my life? Oh, that's so interesting. So, so if I understand what you're saying correctly that you pay more attention to the organized part than you do the not-so-organized part because you feel better crafting your identity around that. Yeah, I do. I love that. I mean, that's part of it, right? And and that is a straight-up – that's based on a straight-up comparison because I think about also uh, some of the things that I was raised with, and and one of them was definitely being organized and being neat – and tidy, like those are things that were pretty important to my parents. And also there's the angle of money, which is also something that has been, you know, for good and for bad, that has something that's been something that's been a big factor in my life and the way I approach a lot of things. Um, 
But those are things that I held with me for a very long time and still do. But kind of like you, in a sense, I felt that they were me. And like the idea, (laughs) just the simple idea, uh, which I will admit is something that I I worked on uh, in counseling, the idea of the the organizer me not being me is pretty stunning. It is because it's like, on the one hand, a huge relief because you're like, oh, this thing I've been fighting against and trying to get right for so long. Well, that's not me anyway. So bye bye. (laughs) And then on the other hand, it's like, well, whoa, I've been wasting a lot of time um, trying like a lot of energy trying to measure up in this way that doesn't actually matter to me. And then thirdly, it's like, oh, uh-oh, well, what am I left with? Yeah. Now that now that I've identified that that isn't me, what is me? And that's really scary. Oh, it, yes, it is. Because there's still, there, there's still the open question of how important it really is to me, which is not a trivial question either. But then, as you say, beyond that, it's, well, if that's not how I in a sense, and measuring how good or uh, how, not necessarily how good I am, but but how I feel and how I am, you know, positive or negative and kind of looking at it that way, well, then how do I judge myself on how I'm doing, right? And, and there's so much, you know, there's so much wrapped up around uh, things like busyness and what we're doing. And a lot of that gets pumped up on social media, Right. I mean, we oh, give, talk about comparing yourself. No kidding. Right. So we, oh. I mean, we give we, we do something on social media um, and it, it becomes it's not quite a, like a, a, a bragging tweet or anything like that. But the things that we see and I know I have this experience is that I see what other people are doing. And I'm like, oh, either I think, wow, I should do that, too. Or, huh. That'd be cool if I could do that. Or maybe I should just copy them and do that too and see how I feel about it. Oh, oh. who doesn't have those feelings? I mean, you see these people, first of all, you follow them for a reason. Exactly. Because there was something about them that you wanted to aspire to or that intrigued you. Or even if you followed them because you can't stand them and you wanted to see what they were going to say next, even then there's a part of you that's like questioning the things that they do and then questioning, well, should I be doing that? And, oh, I'm supposed to be doing that at this point in my career. Or I didn't know that that was the trend and I'm not following that. And then there's the whole, you know, fear of missing out, FOMO. Oh, goodness. Reality of, of, no, everyone else is doing this and I'm not. And then suddenly you had no sense of doing the wrong thing or you were perfectly enjoying the way you were living your life and what you were doing at that moment. And now that there's something that presented itself that you aren't doing now and you think that other people are doing it without you, then it's like, oh, well, I'm not doing the right things. I'm not living the right way. How did I not know about that? How did I not make it to that event? Um, it's it's horrible. And, and what scares me the most are people who, and I say that abstractly, but I include myself in that 100%, who do things so that they can post them. Yeah. 
It's like, oh, we're going to go to this event so that we can take the selfie and post it and show everyone how connected we are. Yeah. Not that we wanted to go to the event, that we enjoyed the event, that we got anything out of the event, but now we get to post about the event and make other people feel that feeling that we feel when we see other people's posts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what do you think about that? How do you feel about that? It's horrible. Absolutely horrible. Is it is it the sole intention then to just go and post about it and not necessarily enjoy it, but just be able to have it out there? Like, is that do you think that's a sole motivator for some folks? Yes, but I don't think that it is as devious as we're making it sound. No, as I'm making it sound. But I think that it's often to cover up other things like the question of who am I? Because sometimes it's so much easier to play the role, to say, this is the character, like you call it the story (laughs) that you're living by. It's like, oh, this is the character that I have in my head. I'm going to play that character because it answers all the questions about what I'm supposed to do. I can go look for examples of that character in the world. Maybe I know them in that they're my parents. Maybe I know them in that they're my mentor or they're this person I work with or this person I was once friends with or this person that I see in the media. And then I'm going to emulate them. And then it removes all of the onus on me to look inside myself for the answers. Instead, I'll look outside to examples and then make the comparisons that I need to make to what I'm doing and go do what they're doing. And I think that it's, it's a um, deflection from not knowing what's going on with you. And I think we all experience this because when we start to ask these questions of ourselves and then the answers aren't in there, it's mm-hmm. horrifying. It's completely horrifying. When I came up with the realization that that voice was not me. It was like, well, what am I left with now? Where's my voice? Where has it been hiding? And you talk about, you know, some of the really deep realizations that you've come to through your counseling. And I've had a lot of the same different realizations, but the same sorts of experiences. And one of those was how I would always talk about friends of mine that had qualities that I admired. And I would say things like, Oh, I wish I could be like that. Mm. Uh, One example is my friend, Abby, who I grew up with, who was so, and still is so free spirited. She was so different from everyone else in school. Even when we were really young, there was something about her that she just was free She didn't live by other people's rules. She just had a way of showing up where she was truly present, where she was always willing to dance. If there was music playing in the distance, she was running towards it so that she could move her body to it. She would run up on stage whenever there was an opportunity. And it wasn't for attention. It was because she was moved to live. And she just did wild things. She went to um, Outward Bound and the things that she went through there, I was just so impressed by. She went to an arts camp where I was so jealous of all the stuff that she had done over the summer because I had gone to the sports camp and I didn't even play sports. I have no idea why I went Mm -hmm. there because that was the place I was supposed to go. 
Um, she went to the place that was, you know, she was just such a creative force. And I, I'm putting it in the past tense. She's very much the same way now. But I just looked up to her then and wanted to know, why can't I be like that? And I remember somehow that came up with my therapist a long time ago. And I said something like, oh, I just wish I could be as free-spirited as Abby. And my therapist was like, you're, you mean you're not free-spirited? You strike me as being very free-spirited. You travel here, you travel there. And I'm like, no, but I'm doing that for work. And then she's like, you go to this conference where you don't know anybody. You go to this event. You do this. You do that. Blah, blah, blah. She's like, you love eating new food. You go, you travel just to like get a, a new dining experience. You go to all these things. And I'm like, no, but not like Abby who does this. And she... For the first time, I think, made me realize all the times I've said, I wish I was so this, I wish I was so that. When I started to unearth that that voice inside my head that was driving my decisions all along wasn't really me, I began to learn slowly that every time I'd said, oh, I wish I could be more whatever, that was actually me. Mm. That's a big realization. Kind of major. Yeah. And, you know, I think about the idea of, you've mentioned careers too, a little bit. And I definitely think about that in this context because, at least for the field that we're in, there's not really a clear path. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's putting it mildly, right? Because Tell it's me like, about it. what do you do? Well, you enter UX and Maybe you do wireframes, maybe you do research, maybe you do all of that stuff. Where do you go from there? Maybe you manage people, maybe you open a company or do freelance stuff instead of working for somebody else. Like all of these things, and there's so many possibilities. And so one of the things that I, I trust this is common is that just looking at what, what other people in the industry are doing and just winging it based on what they're doing, like taking their playbook and saying, oh, I'm going to do this now and see what that, what that does. Um, and sometimes that's successful and sometimes it's not. But I think, much like you were saying earlier, if we, if we kind of take that, uh, and boy, that's another sports metaphor, right? So we steal the playbook, we take those things and adapt them on our own, that also relieves that pressure for us to come up with something deep, as you say. So it's a little easier to digest, well, I'm just copying what so-and-so did. Because then internally, we can justify that pretty easily if it fails. Because we can say, well, that wasn't the right person to copy. Who else should yes. I be looking to? This person. Yes. Okay, that's the person I should look to. Oh, that didn't work either. Who's next? You know, kind of that type of thing. It, it kind of throws it outside of ourselves. And instead, the idea of being able to, first of all, recognize that it is something you come up with on your own. And um, then from there, developing something on your own is way more challenging and way harder. Um, but I think the potential is also obviously much bigger too. It's just a lot more scary to do. It's, it's totally scary. And we see these people and we think the reason why they're so well known is because they figured it out. Whatever yes. it is, they, they must have figured it out. And so let me just emulate them because if I just do all those things then I'm gonna figure it out Absolutely. too and, Absolutely. and it's just like the product development process right like there are some companies that 
go out there and they buy they, they buy the products of all of the people they want to be in competition with and then they try to replicate them just from looking at the products. Yep. And they have so little understanding of what goes into it of identifying the target audiences and understanding those audiences and developing a strategy to reach those audiences and what the product roadmap looks like for 18 months out and how and, and bringing the right people together to develop the products in those ways and nurturing their creativity and so on and so forth that <laughs> they just think oh here's a widget we can make widgets too and Everyone, the whole market, regardless of how quote unquote sophisticated the buyer, and I hate that designation, but that's how we talk about it, everyone can notice that that's a knockoff. And I have a feeling that the same is true for us in our careers. That when you go and you try to do all the things that someone else did just by watching them from the outside, you come across as a total knockoff mm. rather than understanding yourself better and bringing your unique talents to the world and allowing your life to unfold in the way that it's meant to. And we were talking before we hit record about the annoyance of saying things happen for a reason, but <laughs> the way that they're going to, let's just put it that way. So let them unfold how they will rather than trying to make them unfold in a particular way. And I'll say this, I was desperate for mentorship when I was not finding it from the people that I was working closely with. And I reached out to the UX community and I did my damnedest to get in with the people that I considered to be figuring, who, people who figured it out. And yeah. people whose careers I wanted to have a career like. And I was going to learn everything I could from them. And I was going to do what they did. And for many of those people, they were lovely individuals who themselves had no clue how they had gotten there. And they couldn't really share what the secrets were because it had all had just happened. And then there were other individuals who have the appearance of having tremendous success, but the more you get to know them, the more you realize what a farce it all is. Mm -hmm. And you finally realize, I would never want to emulate that. I mm -hmm. would never want that life because that's an unhappy life of having to keep up the farce. And, and they're doing the same things that everyone else is. They're looking at everyone else and saying, how did they figure it out? Everyone thinks I've got it figured out. Right. How did they figure it out? We're right. all comparing ourselves to each other. Yeah, because I had uh, um, maybe a month or two back, I had um, coffee with a, a rather nice gentleman who um, who enjoys the show and also is just wanted to talk about career stuff and, and life stuff. And um I hope he doesn't mind that I'm excerpting our conversation here. But one thing he asked me is like, how do you, how do you do it all? And I had somebody else ask me that too. It's like, how do you do all of this stuff? And I'm just, I don't have an answer for that because to me, I, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. It does to me from the inside, it doesn't feel I, I, that comparison always shows up. So it feels like, Ooh, I don't think I'm doing enough. 
like how do you, it, so it looks like I'm doing a lot. I see how this is. Okay, this is weird. So I don't know how to answer that. And I'm very uncomfortable doing so because, you know, it's not, it's not to say that the, the image that I put out there is totally, it's not a farce. Um, it is edited and curated as is any image that anybody puts out there. Um, but the question of seeing it from the inside and having to know what goes into all this work versus really the last thing or the only thing that people see is a huge gap. And I also think about the relationship to deliverables in our business, right? That terrible fabled word, right? When you make a report or you make a prototype or you make a product, like you don't have a sense of everything that went into it. It's just not part of that process of using it, right? It's simply, that's not what you're necessarily judged on. You can put a lot of work into something and it might not turn out well at all, or it might turn out fantastic, or maybe you put a little work into it. You know, <laughs> maybe like the flip side, maybe you did very little and you got lucky. Totally. Absolutely. I mean, that goes with hand in hand with writing too, right? It's sometimes the posts that you put the least amount of effort into, they take off like a rocket and you're like, shit, I didn't do anything. How did this happen? <laughs> and then the ones and you labor over, you know, you put them out yes. and it's like, nothing and that crickets huh yeah definitely had that happen but see in that what you're bringing up is that moment of comparing yourself to your past self absolutely of oh well I don't deserve all the accolades for this because I know that I've put so much more work into other things that was what really deserved the accolades this I you know did it in my sleep and this is getting attention and then that (laughs) confuses us you know 10 times as much because it's like, wait, why did I spend all that time doing that other thing when it didn't go anywhere? It's, it's very hard. So I'm dying to ask you a question. Uh Oh yeah, I know. Uh Oh, I was right. Without, you know, you know, saying anything that would make you uncomfortable. Now I'm really making you uncomfortable. (laughs) If what are the things in life that you've been like, Oh, I wish I could. Like I said, I always would say, always, I so wish I could be free-spirited. I wish I could be that kind of person. I'm just not. Mm. I'm type A. I'm totally uptight. I am just a New Yorker through and through. I wish I could be so free-spirited. What's that kind of thing that you've always said? I wish I could be whatever. Definitely the idea of of being a free spirit is there for me as well. Although for me, it's been more of, uh, I don't know about a free spirit, but more just being more relaxed, I guess. Um, and not like I can define it by the negatives really easily. Right. So it's like not being, not being so organized, not being so nerdy, like all these things that I started to associate with negative. I wanted to flip that. So being more relaxed and being more open, like those are definitely two of the big things for me. Um, and those are things that I'm still, I still feel I'm working on. For sure. Um, I've held those for such a long time, too. Wow. Really? I mean, I think probably anyone that's listening that doesn't know you probably feels exactly as I do, and I do know you, that it's so surprising because I, I think of you as being so relaxed and so open. You share so much about yourself with so many people. But that's not how you perceive yourself. Well, I, I should be clear about the open. So so I think that's 
Mm, boy, I define that a little differently. So when I'm saying be open, I just mean uh, more along the lines of be more open to possibilities and not necessarily be more open about myself. Because I think ah. I think that's something that I've really started to bring into me a lot. Um, so I'm, I'm glad <laughs> that, that that's there. So thank you. Um, and insofar as the being relaxed stuff goes, um, yeah, I think the, the hard thing for me with that has been that forever and ever, I, there was the conflation of being relaxed with, uh, not being present. Um, and I think what it was for me in reality for a very long time is that I was actually not present, um, with my life and my choices and my, you know, designing myself and all of those things. I just wasn't really checked in for that. I was kind of checked out and very much on autopilot. And that also stressed me out, surprisingly. Um, so I wanted to kind of instead relax genuinely and also recognize that I really wanted to do that. I really wanted to do that versus a voice telling me to relax or a voice saying this is what I should be doing in order to you know, not be uh, stressed out or what have you. Um, so I'm glad I give off the perception of being relaxed. However, that has not, uh, it's, sometimes it's still not the case, but it has not historically been the case for me. I can't help but wonder if the reason that you have done so much work around understand, have, you know, helping people to understand their story and how the story you tell yourself of who you are isn't necessarily who you are and it maybe who, was who you once were, but it doesn't have to be who you are anymore. And all that is what I constantly say, this phrase I have written on a post-it note and it stares at me all day every day, is we teach what we need to learn. Absolutely. My suspicion is you are naturally deeply, deeply relaxed, deeply open to a world of possibility, a very calm, and you know maybe you're not naturally a disorganized person, but maybe you're not naturally organized. Is that different than saying naturally disorganized? I don't <laughs> and think that so. there's there's stress that is involved in telling yourself that story of who you are and then living up to it, comparing yourself constantly to how well am I doing at fulfilling the story I have about myself mm -hmm. when in actuality, if the, if you just gave up that story, then you could be all those other things and it would be so much easier. And that's what I'm realizing, that I had an idea of what my career was supposed to look like I made a lot of missteps based on other people's guidance and they meant well, but they had an idea for what I was supposed to do, what they wanted to see of me or what they were trying to do or what they had done. And so that was the advice that they could give and taking the answers from the outside or trying to be what I hoped would make my parents proud or what I thought they wanted for me or what I thought other people in my life wanted for me was ultimately so much more stressful mm -hmm. than just saying, screw it. I am not going to do any of those things. I'm not going to accomplish those things. And by the way, that's not who I am. And one of the biggest 
kind of examples of that was when I left New York and people who I was deeply close to my entire life were flabbergasted. They said, you leave New York, you are New York. Mm -hmm. I've said this so many times since it's happened. And I was like, actually, if you have that perception of me, I guess I haven't done a very good job of letting you get to know me. Mm. because actually I'm not, I am not at all. And this ain't my bag and I'm not going to pretend anymore. And there was something just so liberating about that. But then of course the question you're left with is, so what am I? Uh And we're so used to playing the comparison game of here's the story. Here's the measuring stick. Do I live up to it? Am I doing the right things using this, this, Thing, this external thing as a benchmark and maybe we aren't meant to replace it with something that's more authentic to us but maybe the idea is that we just throw it out altogether yeah yeah because because my philosophy with books is this here <laughs> <laughs> if i start reading a book and i don't enjoy it i will stop reading it Love i will it. not finish it because for the longest time, I was like, no, I must finish every book that I read. And, you know, no, because if it's not a good story or I'm not enjoying it, why why would I continue then for the remainder of the book? Why would I do that? Like that's and not just thinking from the organized perspective, although part of me is definitely thinking about that. You know, that's a good waste of time. But it's also like, why why wouldn't I choose something else that I'm going to enjoy a lot more? So similarly, yes. if there's and, and, you know, there's your blatant metaphor of the night. It's, you know, if you are if you if the story of you is not something that you enjoy doing, just stop reading it. <laughs> I mean, stop reading it and write a new one and just put it on a freaking post-it and not even not even a novel, but just, you know, something else. And but but no, I guess the other part of it, you know, it's I yeah, I'm being flippant, but it's also know that you can stop reading that story too. You don't have to continue on that at all if you don't want to. It's totally your choice. It's totally your choice, which is a huge thing. Um and there are plenty of other books out there too. It is a huge thing. And I think that at some point in every person's life, they realize I can stop reading this book, but here's the rub. I think that when you realize that it's just as hard, if not harder to stop reading it, because then what you're left with is this was a choice. I could have stopped reading this book and I didn't. Yeah. And now I am so upset by how much time I've wasted that it's almost easier to just keep reading the book. Like when you don't return a phone call and then you're like, I'm just going to return the call tomorrow. And then like what something comes up and then you're like, oh, I'm just going to call back the next day. And then it extends because you're so embarrassed by how much time it's mm-hmm, taken mm-hmm. to return the call that you end up taking longer. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes such an absurd amount of time that you're even more embarrassed by how much time it's taking you to return the phone call. So you don't return it and on and on until you never return the friggin' phone call. And it's, I don't think it's unlike that. It, it's like you say, stop reading the book. 
it's an it's amazing. It's such a good feeling when you feel that when you come to that conclusion, not because you listened to a podcast where two people were talking about having experienced it themselves, but when something in your life happens to you where suddenly you realize it is in your power to stop reading that book. That feeling is awesome. But the feeling that comes after of, and now that I know that, and I'm not going to stop reading it, now I feel even worse. Yeah. And what I have yet to figure out, as if any of this can be figured out, which is a huge presumption, but what I've yet to really wrap my head around is what is it that leads us to actually stop reading it? Not the knowing, but mm-hmm. the stopping. Mm. Yeah, because the knowing is, uh, with any of this stuff, right, that's the observation, that's the research that we do, and that's kind of the first, the first big important thing, is really noticing that there is a story and there's a book and that you're reading it, and like, huh, I mean, I'm visualizing this. I'm like, I'm in a comfortable chair. I'm reading the book about my life and how it's supposed to go. And like, huh, I am here reading this. It's like being present in that sense. But then what do you do if you don't, like if you want to stop reading the book for real and you choose to do that, then what do you need on the other side? Do you need to have a book at all? There's your, there's your crazy metaphor continued. Right, right. And that's, I think that we become so conditioned to the act of reading a book mm-hmm. that when we when we realize, okay, I don't have to read this book, so I'm going to stop, the natural next thought is, so what book am I going to read? Exactly. And when that other book does not present itself, is this very frightening thing because now you have to keep reading a book you know you hate oh. <laughs> and you have to keep reading it anyway. Right. And and yet how how can we you and I and those who are listening who have experienced this or who are cluing into the fact that they've experienced this based on what they're hearing us talk about what can we do to help others stop trying to read any book at all? That's a great question. I would say one thing to keep in mind is that stop reading the book, which is now, of course, the episode title. And boy, if I was writing a book and I didn't have a title in mind, that would be an awesome title for a book. Stop reading this book. Stop reading this book. It's like steal (laughs) this book. It's the opposite. Stop reading this book. book. Done. Don't read this book. I can see the reviews for it already. That should be the title. Don't read this book. Don't read this book. I'm sure that that has to exist. I'm looking it up. It's got to be out there. I'm sure there's like eight (laughs) copies of that. Um, Nevertheless, so one thing to keep in mind: if you choose to stop reading the book, that doesn't mean the stuff in the book was totally worthless, right? Because I think. You know, the thing that you brought up about, oh, gosh, I wasted a lot of time reading this or wow, look how much time I, I spent in it. I really heard a lot of negativity in that. And I certainly agree with that sentiment and that that idea is that it feels really like, oh, oh, it's been a long time. And wow, I don't agree with this. But also recognize that there could be stuff in there that's still valuable to you, like genuinely so. But I think part of it then is really, first of all, not being dismissive of what you've done. Because you've still done things, right? You've done things in your life. They're still with meaning. But now part of that is saying, okay, well, maybe those things just don't have the same meaning for me anymore. 
That's cool. I'm not the same person I was five minutes ago. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago, right? So it's possible that that book still applies to me, but it's also quite possible it doesn't have to anymore. So not instantly throwing things out is good, but also recognizing that you you should be willing, ultimately, to con- to let go of all that stuff. You might have I'm to. Really, yeah, I'm glad you went there because I am telling my story when I get negative about the old book I was reading. That's my shtick of being angry that that was the way I was making decisions. What you just said is so much more wise, which is, look, that's what you needed then. That's how it was. It's not a judgment of bad or good. It just is. And it doesn't have to be that anymore. It can be this other thing. And you can appreciate what was and you can recognize what the, ben- the benefits that you got out of it. But you can also accept that it is no longer the story you need to be telling yourself. Mm-hmm. There is something else for you now and that it's perfectly allowable you can allow yourself to shift without judging the past as positive negative or anything in the spectrum between them and i appreciate you you taking it to that place because i think that the value judgment that we place on these things is in many ways what gets in our way of making the change. Absolutely. And it pulls on the core stuff in us, like identity, which I know we've talked about. And I know we talked about also the idea of um, changing and allowing yourself to change. It pulls heavily on these things and also pulls heavily on what other people are going to think. Because, you know, we're social creatures, right? And we we care about what other people think to some extent. What we choose to do with that, that's up to us. Some people, it's going to impact them a lot more than others. But if you, you know, if you essentially, ooh, I'm going to go with this metaphor. If you essentially stop reading the book, put it on the shelf, you start a new book, there are other people who are going to say, I don't like that book. That's really weird. Or it's in another language. I don't get that. Um, There are people who are just not going to understand But then there are other people beyond them who will understand or at least say, you know what? I like this author. (laughs) I like what this person's saying. I'm going to stick with this person. And that's cool. And I'm along for the ride on this. Um, Now I have belabored that metaphor to death. (laughs) But you know what? What you're saying has so much truth to it, which was what I had to learn. Why would Abby have ever been friends with someone like me if mm. I was as unfree-spirited as I took myself to be? There you go. Clearly, her experience of me was very different than my experience of me. She saw me as someone who would be willing to do all those wild things with her or at the very least appreciate the wild things she was doing. Yeah. And egg her on and be excited for her and proud of her and just be there for her. And if I had that in me, then that must have been part of my story all along. Mm -hmm. And when we either find 
the right story to read or as the title designing yourself would indicate stop reading other people's stories and write our own we attract people into our life who are in a, in a much deeper more authentic sense meant to be there that we connect with on a very different level because we truly see each other. Mm-hmm. We're not just two people, you know, attempting to live by another person's story. And so we're supposed to be in each other's life because that's the supposed to, but instead we're meant to, I'm being very um, obtuse with the difference between those two words, but Hopefully you know what I mean. I do. It really goes beyond the things that we see on social media and the selfies and the pictures with other people and all of those things kind of together and saying that, yep, you know, we're going to go for something that's a little more real and a little (laughs) more authentic than, hey, I got to hang out with this cool person. Cool. Or I went to I went and experienced this thing just because uh, just because I wanted to post about it. it. It's something that takes on a more real quality. For sure. And like so many of the topics that we've spoken about to this point, it's about living now as opposed to trying to live for what the future holds or constantly obsessed with what you did or didn't do in the past, but really just being here now. Yep. Doing what's right for you now. Yep. Yep. All in on that. People, you know, people are impacted in the present by the past and the future. But the truth is all we have right now is that present. So we have to be who we are right now. So then is the conclusion that comparisons are by their very nature being stuck in the past or the future? Mm, I think they are. I think they are, because what else are you going to compare to? There's The only thing that's happening in the present is what's here in the present. There's nothing to compare to. <laughs> you can't is. bring a book into the present tense. Oh, that's true. The book's already been written. Oh, good. Nice. I love it. See, your metaphor works. This metaphor is the best metaphor ever. It's got legs. <laughs> it's a book <laughs> with legs. I love it. All right. Well, this has been a wonderful second season with you, Paul. And you as well. Thank you so much. I, I've, I've loved that we've tried new stuff this season and we've had fantastic conversations uh, with each other and, of course, with, with guests uh, back at the start of the season, too. That was awesome stuff. Yes, um, thank you to all of our guests. Thank you to people who share your thoughts and feelings on our episodes. Thank you for sharing your ideas for topics You will definitely be hearing from us again. We will have something to share with you in the future. Not quite sure what that is yet. Yep, but something, and it'll be something great for sure. Thank you to everyone for listening and for your support. We really, really do appreciate it. Bye for now. We'll talk soon. Bye. Designing Yourself is hosted by Whitney Hess and Paul McAleer and is edited by Aaron Dowd. Our theme music is All Heroes by Ardeacon Music Productions. 
with some rights reserved via Creative Commons. You can follow Whitney on Twitter at Whitney Hess, and you can follow Paul at Paul McAleer. If you like what you heard on this episode, stop by our website at designingyourself.net. You can subscribe to the show via your favorite podcasting app or via iTunes. We love to hear your feedback. So if you have an idea for a topic, a guest, or just want to say hello, you can call our listener hotline. Call 1-404-500-SELF. You can always reach us on Twitter at Designing You. And our super secret email address is designingyourself at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon.